welcome to the Healthy Mindfuck Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Lee. This show is completely dedicated to giving you the stories, strategies, and top performance hacks from extraordinary minds around the globe. Without further ado, let's dive right in. Hold up. Wait a minute. Let's put some consciousness up in it. Welcome to today's episode. If you did not catch the episode where we are kind of revamping this bad boy, we are on a mission right now to get us into the top 100 in mindset and productivity. And because of that, and you are a part of this special and unique snowflake of an episode, we are going to ask you to do us a tiny little favor. If you have a grandma, grandpa, pastor, next door neighbor, somebody in your life that the title, or if you're at the end of this bad boy, tune it up, that this would help them thrive in life, do us a tremendous favor and send this to them. Screenshot, uh, snail mail, download it on a USB, ship it over to China, whatever you got to do. It is helping us so, so much. And we are already making tremendous amounts of progress. Now, I have one more favor. If you are listening to this and you have not yet rated and reviewed this on Apple Podcasts, it helps us so gosh darn much. And it would mean so, so much to me if you would go do that. Uh, You can do that while you're listening to the episode. Again, it just, it means so much to me. It brings such a smile to my face to see the impact. And it helps me bring on people to this show that you guys want to listen to. So if this has helped you revamp your life, if this has helped your grandma get herself up and into action, your pastor is having breakthroughs, whatever it is to you, your next door neighbor or your Buddhist Zen temple monastery, I don't care. Send it to them with some love and some hearts. And as always, let us know in the like and review comments the best way that we can continue to support your highest expression. Without further ado, let's pitter-patter and let's dive in. Hey, what is going on, my friends? We are in for a special treat today. I have my new and profound friend, Corey, here, who's going to be talking all things about her universe, which is completely new to me, but she's an extraordinary human being and was highly recommended to come into the show today. So Corey, welcome. I'm very excited to learn more about your world. Hi, Chris. It's wonderful to be here. So Corey, you're up in Minnesota. And oh yeah, you betcha, don't you know? You betcha there, bud. Um, mm-hmm. But tell us a little bit about what you do right now. Mm, yeah, I think if I were to simplify what I do, I just help people be more effective in relationship with themselves and therefore be more effective in relationship with others. Oh, that's um, powerful. Yeah. That's so funny too. And like it, we, I literally, for anybody that's wondering why this feels like a gunshot out of the, uh, out of the gates is because literally we were in the middle of a sentence about what a minute and a half ago and I just hit the record button and I didn't tell you this, but um, one of the things that I've been deeply going into is this quote that keeps like ruminating in my head. And it's how can you love me when you don't love yourself? Mm. Yeah, that's spot on. And I would add to that part of loving yourself is knowing yourself. Mm. And I think that that arena is really confusing for a lot of people today. Like, what does it mean to truly know yourself and how do you get there? It's, uh, it's confusing, it's overwhelming, and there's a lot of information. 
um, about what it actually means. There is. And yeah. I mean, especially our generation of, I, I would say we're millennials, I'm a millennial. Um, there's so much information out there that I get frustrated that there is so much and that I get overwhelmed with the different avenues I can take. And then I don't take action and I get mad at myself for not taking action, which is the exact opposite thing that I wanted from the action that I never took. <laughs> yes. And I'm just you're going, fuck, like, come on, Chris, like get your shit together. No, self-love, compassion, be with yourself. So how did you get even on this pathway? Because like, this is like not, and I say this with my things too, like this is not where I thought I was going to be. And yet here we are. Yeah. Yeah. To add to what you said too, which is a big part of how I got here to answer your question. I mean, the idea of self-love is Chris, go get a massage and get your nails done and make sure you, you know, have your hair done as well. Uh, and all, all of these things that are outside of us, they're, they're actually not even self-love. It's, it's consume something and then you'll feel better about yourself mm, Yeah. instead of, right. I mean, true, true self-love is doing all the really, really, really hard things to know ourselves, to understand ourselves, to understand how our bodies work that allow us to have the lives that we really want. Um, that's a really big statement and hopefully we can unpack that a little bit. And that leads me, I'm seeing all the, the thoughts turning in your head. What's coming up for you as you say that? It's, it's true, but it's fucking scary. It is. Because like, I think the Marianne Williamson quote that she talks about, it's not our darkness, but our light that we most fear. Mm. I think the loss of identity that I associated with my shit and my baggage and my ego, the thought of letting that all go, it genuinely scared me. Like when I first started getting into this work of like, oh my gosh, like I'm gonna like unpack all of this, but like, this is who I am. Like I am these things. And it, it was terrifying because I didn't know who was actually underneath, but like learning to like the, the things I was most terrified of, words I literally wrote in my diary that I hated were the words surrender and trust because I'd been so burned from those two things. And now I wake up every day and I'm like, how can I surrender to something bigger than myself? And how can I learn to trust in me more? Mm, I love that. I really, really love that. Yeah, I would say that's core to a lot of the experience that I has had as well. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know how, what's the right way to tell a story or to, tell, to say what I do, but the way I like to think about my story is when I was sitting down with, um, I work with private equity firms mostly, and the CEO of one of them came into my office and I was meeting him for the first time and he said, he didn't even say hello, he just said, Corey, why are you better at this than anybody else? And I was about to... <laughs> I was about to work with him for the first time, never met him. Um, and he's very powerful. And I was so caught off guard by that question. I, I, it was really eye-opening for me. I was like, well, I better have a good answer. Think about the emotional response. <laughs> yeah, like, terror on my face. And it was really a, an opportunity, a look back for me to say, why am I better? Why am I here? Why am I doing this? And I, in that moment, what I said, I said, well, I realized that I'm, I've gotten really comfortable being uncomfortable. 
and I can be uncomfortable longer than most other people. And then that's what just came out of my mouth. And he kind of looked at me and he was like, that is not what I was expecting you to say. And he goes, well, is that what we're going to do today is we're going to be, we're going to, we're going to be uncomfortable. And I was like, yeah, I think we're going to be quite vulnerable today. We're going to get vulnerable. And I look back now and I go, huh? I mean, I guess my brain knew what was important, but I also realized that that was the key to all the work that I do now is learning to be comfortable in the uncomfortable. And that's what I did in that moment is I just sat in this chaos that was happening inside of me uh, and just identified what was important to me and expressed that. Um, I think that's a really important part of my story because if you read any ancient literature, it all says, do the hard thing, right? If you wanna have a, a good life, do the hard thing. If you wanna have an easy life, do the hard thing. But what does that mean? And I think that's the same question with self-love. It's like, what does that mean? Um, and for me, I realized doing the hard thing was getting to know myself, asking myself, who am I? understanding how do I have the difficult conversations with myself so I can have difficult conversations in relationship with people that are important to me? You know, how do I have the hard conversations so that I can do the things that I wanna do and not be in a state of constant shame? And so I realized the common denominator there is that I need to get really good at being in uncomfortable motions. Like, get really, really good. And, and that moment, the reason that's an important part of my story is because, you know, I'm, I'm a hodgepodge of everything, which is, I had a traumatic brain injury in college. I had parents that expected a lot of me. I think there's a common story for many of us in this. I had, um, you know, I, I had a diagnosis of ADHD when I was really young, which was really confusing for me. And I realized that in all of these scenarios, from sitting down with that CEO to hitting my head, to sitting down with a doctor, trying to understand what was going on inside of me, that I didn't have language mm. to articulate what was going on inside of me emotionally. I didn't have language to articulate the hard thing. And as soon as I recognized that, I realized my paralysis, my stuckness, was because I didn't have language to articulate my emotional experience. And my journey back to myself has been in large part about linguistics, language, understanding emotions so that I can communicate and connect back to myself and connect to other people. And most of what I've studied for the last decade is around attachment theory. How do you use language and attachment theory is really scary for a lot of folks. So I hope we can demystify this a little bit and make it more accessible to folks because it's super powerful um, in relationship specifically with ourselves. So yeah, I'm just, I know that was a lot, Chris. So just pause no, there for a second. There's so many amazing points and I think you're so right, especially I'm a, a very, 
big reader into, I guess, Eastern mysticism. And I've like recently fallen in love with Zen Buddhism in a different degree. And I've always loved Taoism and like the, the messages and nature and things of that sort. And doing the hard thing is, is just, it's been so practiced for so long. Mm-hmm. And it's not that in today's society, we would say, do the hard thing to lead to success. But even back then they would define success as just fulfillment or like the joy that you experience moving towards your potential as like Sean Anker would call it. I mean, I love those types of things. And the big mindset shift for me in the last couple of years around all of that has been not learning to weather out the storm, but learning to dance in it instead. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and the question is, okay, how do you dance in it? Right. And that's always it. Like these are really beautiful, nifty little things you got to say there. And that's a really amazing Hallmark card, but what the (laughs) fuck? Like I need my sticky note to leave this fucking practice with to go do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're getting at though, the, the first part or the first stage on the journey. And I actually always say this, I think for I'm a huge advocate for coaching and for therapy and for just knowing yourself. But I truly believe for therapy and coaching to work, we need to have a foundation of self-awareness. We Mm. need to know ourselves. And that's, and I can't tell you how many friends, family members, colleagues I've had say, oh, you know, I go to therapy and blah, blah, blah. blah." And, And it's like, but do you have a language to understand who you are before you go into a space of help with another person. And for me, that was kind of the light bulb that went on. I started gaining language of, you know, what are the dimensions of my, I like to say human experience? Meaning like, how do I make sense the way my, of the way my brain was wired? And we know that we're wired to be connected in relationship, right? We're wired to, use all of the information and the gifts and our emotions not to do what society says which is when you have a brain injury when you are stressed when you are overwhelmed just shut them down and get rid of them and make them stop um there there are huge gifts in our emotional experiences and our internal experience um and i think that that's part of doing this you know if we're pulling a thread of doing the hard things of doing the hallmark card thing is is truly understanding and knowing your experience, the lenses in which you use to see the world. Um, that's where your power lies, yeah. right? That's where all possibility lands for sure. And to add on to that, the biggest thing for me has been, I, I kid you not, it's, it's my cheap little pens and it's paper and like deciphering or like the the power of contemplation has been so profound in my life to say I had this experience today and it felt like this and it reminded me of that therefore I decide the meaning is this and learning to tweak and move and like understand my emotions in new and profound ways Um, because as much as I want to be the person that's just like 
this free flowing vessel of emotion that it just moves through. And I just get to experience like my nervous system just has not been wired that way. Like I need the language so, so much. So like even in the podcast and in my social media, like there's very like descriptive words that I like to use that are triggers for me um, to help me make sense of different experiences. And I think that's a, that's a keystone that a lot of us, especially the intellects that tend to be attracted to this podcast, like are probably like lacking. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. And uh, you're it's so beautifully said because a large part of attachment theory. So the way I like to define attachment theory is essentially you come into the world, right? And there is a lot of data and information in the world. And if you as a young child under two were to consume all of that, you would go crazy, you'd go mad. So you look to your primary caregiver, whoever that is at the time, to say, hey, how should I make sense of the world? In relationship, should I focus on you or me? Under stress, what emotions should I access to feel safe emotionally, right? To stay alive, what should I do? You know, should I focus on possibility and opportunity under stress and in relationship, or should I see more risk? Like, do I need to protect myself? And that is exactly what you're just, you're talking about how you've been wired, right? You've been wired in relationship from a very young age. And unfortunately, we don't get to pick our parents. <laughs> unfortunately or fortunately. Right. Um, and we, we're constantly being our brain on a biological, physical level. We're constantly being shaped in relationship. And so, you know, I, I had access many years ago, had access to this tool called the EQ profile. And I have, EQ is saturated, it's oversaturated. There's so much information. What does it actually mean? Ah. Yeah. Um, but for me, I think the space, and this is where we started this conversation that I've really fallen into this idea of relational intelligence. Like how can we be really effective in the relationship we have with ourselves and have language to understand what's happening inside of us so we can essentially rewire our brains, change our nervous systems. If we've, if we've learned that relationships aren't safe or the relationship with ourself isn't safe and what that looks like is escaping addiction, not being present. I mean, I could, the list can go on and on and on. Yeah, you're just you're just reading out of my journal. <laughs> yeah, then um, you know those are the ways we've learned to not be in relationship with ourselves, yeah. and that's really what attachment shows us is that oftentimes we learn from our parents that it's just not safe to be with ourselves. And then, of course, if that's the case, we learn that it's not safe to be with other people in relationship. And so, to your words, we'll use self sabotaging behavior. Um, to not be in those relationships and it's really painful. I think we should take this 40 leagues under the sea and go deep with it. Can we start diving into attachment theory and like what yeah. that is? And yeah. because everything that you're saying, everything we're discussing, I, it, it's such it's such a flipping important conversation, especially in my own life. Um, the way that past romantic relationships have shown up have like left me with the opportunity to be devastated um, because I didn't have a foundation of knowing myself and it created a codependent relationship that 
allowed me to attach labels and meanings onto that person so that if they did leave or do other things, it would leave me completely wounded and vulnerable with no foundational skills to process or integrate that. And I think that I'm not probably special in that context. I think a lot of us are probably raised inside of that world. So understanding attachment theory, I think would be a really beautiful, I don't want to say foot inside the door, because I don't know if you could put a foot inside the door or a toe inside the door with attachment theory, but you might as well get your wetsuit on because we're going swimming. <laughs> yeah, we're going swimming. I'm curious, Chris, to, to go back to that story. Um, where has that pattern replicated for you in relationship before your romantic relationships? So where did you learn that pattern from? So that's a really, really great question. So the reason that I brought that up, the core memory that I actually found it with came through an attachment that I had to my brother. Um, so my parents got divorced at like an early age and my brother was always the person that I looked up to as like a male figure of like, oh, that's what it's like to be a man. And at a young age, there is a like period or an event that had occurred that I believed very strongly. And I was about 13 or 14 at the time um, that he had like betrayed me in like so many different ways, like to my core. And because of that, I then created an association that people that I love and I trust will hurt me. And then it totally got mirrored over the years and molded and crafted to always be on eggshells. Don't let anybody in create this vulnerability. And then specific events had occurred in my early twenties that allowed me to go back to a more painful state of that, where I thought that I needed to be a provider for my daughter. Um, and in doing that, I put that provider mask on as an identity and also as like a protective coding, um, so that people couldn't come in because I was always like giving to them so that they weren't allowed in. Mm, yeah, that's really, thank you for being vulnerable. Of course. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what the work is for. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think, um, it's so fascinating. The, the place I always like to start with attachment theory is, is saying, thank you, brain. You know, thank you, body, because you're working. <laughs> I'm here. I'm alive. So just thinking and appreciating because attachment patterns are about survival. It's about what your body and brain needs to do to be alive. And so everything you do emotionally is a hundred percent about how have I learned to be in certain emotions and make meaning of them so that I stay alive. You know, that I'm psychologically sane, that I'm okay. And I think in today's society, attachment theory, I say is confusing because there's so much, so many articles about it. And it's like, what do we do? I can't tell you how many parents I've talked to. They're like, this is terrifying. I'm going to mess up my child. Oh yeah. Right. Oh yeah. I get that and, a lot. Yeah. And, and I, I really want to demystify it and just say, actually what the neuroscience says is that if you've looked at these patterns, if you've started to integrate them and accept them and become aware of them, integrated patterns. So what do I mean by that is that we're 
your your attachment pattern is unconscious, right? You just uh, have it adapted it. Your brain was created before you were verbal, so it's nonverbal usually, right? And so you didn't get to have choice. But when we understand our pattern of attachment, guess what? It shines this light of on our blind spots which you use the word self-sabotaging. And so, you know, from the very basic, I'm sure many of us have heard this, there's four types, secure, avoidant, anxious, or disorganized. And truthfully, I rarely use those when I'm talking about attachment theory, because I think that people have language about what does it mean to be avoidant? You know, what does it mean to be anxious? And they, they have this idea of what it actually or what they think it is, but it's not actually that. It's, it's do I understand my patterns of emotional safety in relationship and are they serving me or are they not serving me? So an example that you just used with your brother, your body and your brain telling you a thing that you need to just feel safe. They were doing something that allowed you to feel safe but it's not serving you in your adult relationships anymore. It's actually derailing you and leading you to places that are, I don't know, you tell us what kind of places for you, where you led to. My pattern when it came to this before I was doing like a lot of the dirty work is uh, I would recognize the trigger and this was not conscious. I would recognize and then I would isolate. And then I would come back until like I desensitized to it. And then I would go back to like my old pattern and then I'd get triggered and then I'd isolate myself again. And I would isolate myself in a quote unquote healthy ways of like spending like more time um, like with my daughter or like spending more time with myself or like all these different things, but they were all still an avoidance technique that I was using um, to like stay away from like the pain of that. And then on top of that, once my dad had passed away, um, it created this giant gaping wound of abandonment, um, which ended up being one of the core wounds that the original memory um, was actually being associated with. So once I started to realize that, that it was the abandonment um, of my attachment to I never get the chance to say goodbye or I never get the chance to change a perspective or say what I wish to say. Um, and actually going back and like doing like the self-forgiveness and the self-love of those practices, that's where it's begun to like heal up. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Chris, would you be okay if we just take three lenses that are a little bit more chewable for folks and apply them to the situation? Would that be okay now? I would love it. Okay. Perfect. I'm hoping we can wrap this in here. Um, okay, so one of the lenses that you can use to understand your attachment is called self and other. And it's about differentiation. So at a very young age, um, we learn to either focus on our own internal experience, our own thinking, wanting, and feeling, or on the experience of the other person. We also learn to take responsibility or not, we take responsibility or replace the responsibility outside of us. And this is about locus of control. And if you've heard of locus of control, so locus of control, um, I'll just give an example. If, you, uh, if you've taken a test and the locus of control is inside of you, and let's just say you took a test, you failed, you would say things like, ugh, I didn't study enough. 
you know, I must have read the wrong chapter. Oh, gosh, you know, how could I do this? So I'm in control of my reality. I didn't study enough. I missed the mark. If the locus of control is outside of us, then the responsibility is outside of us. So it would be like, Chris, you didn't give me the right book to study for the test or teacher, you didn't give me the right book. So I'm my the responsibility for me is outside of me. And there is no right, wrong or good or bad. It's just what we've learned to survive in the moment. And the last piece about this is that with self and other is that it's what needs to change in the moment. Either you need to change or I need to change. And think about this as a small child, a small child walking around in the world, either focusing on their experience to survive or focusing on the other to survive, taking responsibility or putting it on the other, or changing and adapting or managing the other person in the moment. So if I were to bring this into real life, you have a parent that is doesn't know how to regulate their emotions, so you have that young child that's taking responsibility. Oh, mom, I can fix this. I'll make dinner. So child's taking responsibility. They're managing the emotions of the other person. And they're changing in that moment when they see an explosive behavior from the parents. Are you following me? Am I making sense? Can I clarify? No, no, no. This is making a lot of sense. And so like there's, there's a real world example that I think I would give of when when parents tend to go through a separation, that tends to be like a very deep emotional anchor that children lay down to help provide, I think, emotional support or just try to regulate the environment that they're in, especially if they're under that like 14 year old age where they just like, they're an, they're an open nerve and they feel everything and they just constantly read and mirror body language. So even if like you're saying like, oh no, like mommy or daddy's totally fine. Kids don't care what you say. They read body language. That's all they do. And they, that's, they like, I can say those things to my daughter and she's like, cool daddy. But like, I recognize your shoulders are internally rotated by like three degrees and I see your heads forward a little bit. So like, you want to talk about it? Like she, that's just like innate. That's just what they do. So like that self-serving thing, like even if you like try to talk yourself out of it, the system's too smart. <laughs> the system is way too smart. Well, and you're you're getting at how our self and other orientation, we're all both self and other, right? That's just how we're wired in relationship. We focus on the other, we focus on self. But most of us lean one way. We tend to, in the moment under stress, so when there's immense stress and we can't see ourselves and we're in that pattern, that default pattern, we tend to lean on one of these, either being really focused on the other or being really focused on the self. And so um, knowing that about yourself, right? We're talking about how to do the hard things, having this lens about where do you tend to lean under stress is really important. Do you know, do you have a guess as to which way you would lean on your own internal experience or the other? Uh, so when I was younger, um, up until I really started to do a lot of this, it, it was very, very internal. Um, took a ton of responsibility. I think similar to you, I was a high performing athlete, played college sports and all those types of things. Um, and when I got to college, the experience was just really bad. Like we had a really abusive coach and stuff like that. 
And the group think was that that person was doing wrong to us. And it was at that point that I recognized that I went into, we, I called it like victim mode, like victim of the external and placing responsibility outside of myself. Yeah. Um, then dad committed suicide also outside of me. And I didn't have the tools to get a perspective of saying, I get to determine the emotional reality of that experience. And of course, there's just a shit ton to unpack from that in and of itself. But as I've gotten more, I say this with quotation marks, wise, um, but getting different perspectives to learn these types of things, um, I intellectually know every single day that I wake up that I get to determine my emotional reality. The game becomes how much can I trust that? And then what am I willing to do about it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I mean, wise is important. And I think what is really important about what you said is you intellectually knew, I think what's really challenging, and I'll speak only for me, is that when we're under stress and when we're in conflict, we can't see ourselves. And this is when our attachment really comes out to play. This is when our self-other orientation, when we're tend to, you know, if we're more other oriented, we're focused on the other, we're blaming the other they need to change in relationship for us to be okay. And then if we're more self-oriented, we're taking too much responsibility. We're self-sabotaging ourselves. We're boundaryless. We're basically overwhelming ourselves. And so knowing this, you know, I would, I would offer everyone just questions like think about under stress and relationship. Do you take on all the responsibility mm. or do you tend to blame the other person? That's such a big question too, because, so I guess the, the big tool that's allowed me a, a deeper perspective, just to kind of riff on what you're speaking about is that, um, my mindfulness and my meditation practices, if there's one thing that I would tell people to go do is like, I mean, for me, meditation has been a game changer because mm -hmm. inside of that, I genuinely have created such a foundation of like such a good mindfulness practice over the last six years. Um, and there's no ceiling to it, which I love. But in the last six years, being able to go, I'm having an experience. Is it becoming me? Have I become it? And then mm. inside of a meditation practice, being able to draw back in my projected self, because when you get traumatized, even micro traumas, you project your awareness out of side, outside of that. So the body doesn't have to suffer because that's uncomfortable. So in the meditation practice, bringing myself back into the body and creating safety and somatic awareness, and then asking myself, what am I experiencing right now? Am I the victim? And do I want to change it? Because I definitely feel like I have tools to change my perspective. Like right now I'm holding a pen and I can spin the pen to get a new perspective on that. I'm the one that's in control of the perspective that I'm looking at it from. And you can do that with your emotional experiences too. From a personal perspective, that's what I believe. Yeah, I 100% believe that. I mean, I think the work of all of this to go back to doing the hard thing, it's to have more choice in your life. And if you know yourself, if you have some of these lenses, you can truly, truly change your life. I, Chris, I don't want to, I was just thinking we've, we've touched on like 13 traumas between the two of us, I think, throughout this entire conversation. Wow. We're just kind of like, woo, whizzed right over that. Ripping band-aids off. This, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> but I think what's so important, you know, what I'm learning is that 
trauma is is about your internal experience. It's not about the event. It's about how you make meaning of the situation, about about what's happening inside of you, and the surprise. It's um, you know, I, I, there's a lot of shame in a lot of these events for me um, because of just like why do I feel this way and how do I feel this way, and um, recognizing that it wasn't necessarily about the event, but how I made meaning of that specifically. And that is very tied to how you've learned to feel safe in relationship at a very young age, how you respond. Um, and until we become aware of that, we truly can't choose in relationship with ourselves, in relationship with other. Um, I think one of the most profound and many of the things you've said I'm incredibly self-oriented. I take lots of responsibility in relationship. I am always the one that changes and I'm really focused almost to being self-absorbed at times when I can't see myself and I'm blind uh, under stress. I think one of the most profound awarenesses I've had is that I take responsibility for other people's emotional experiences as if they're my own. <laughs> as if I can control them. And can you hear the survival mechanism in that? Like, oh, mom, dad are upset. I'll just take on their emotional experiences yeah. and we'll be set, right? I'll fix you for sure, right? Like, and I mean, this this is like one of those like sticking points so hard. I know we have a ton of coaches and therapists that listen to this too, that like nice, good old thick barbed wired fence boundaries around like what you're willing to emotionally participate in when you're holding space and understanding like how to do that. And like, are you doing that when you're watching movies or are you doing that? Like when you're listening to podcasts or are you doing that? Like when you go like get somebody's coffee for them, like all of these different things that come up, like I think, and I can only say this from an external perspective especially women are taught to very much like please um and feel because like they are like and i say this like they're feminine or they're they are more emotional and there is like you know some biology and some neuro truth to that um and like that's sweet so now thank you school i don't know how to pay my taxes and how the fuck do i regulate my emotions like what the fuck? So like learning how to do those things is, is really, really important. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, um, if I were to move to the other lens that I often use to think about this, it's, it's called thoughts, wants, and feelings. And these come from a tool that's really powerful called the EQ profile that I highly recommend. Um, I am a master assessor by, that's what I do for a living. So I work for a company that uses assessment tools um, I'm assessment agnostic. I have a big problem for all the coaches and therapists on here with a lot of assessment tools. We're really, really bad at self-assessing our own self-awareness. No way. <laughs> and so just know that this is a very finely filtered and very validated tool that's incredibly powerful because it's the only non-self-assessing tool on the market that I'm aware of. Um, which is why it's changed my life. And I know, right? Round of applause for that. Seriously. Um, so just know that I'm coming at this with a, with a fine picked comb and I, I'm well aware of how tools are used. And I, um, anyway, one of the other lenses that's really powerful to think about your attachment is called thoughts, wants, and feelings orientation. And 
it tells us in our human experience in our body how do we collect data and information in the moment how have we learned unconsciously and we do all three of these so one is the thinking the cerebral the analyzing we analyze and think about things the other one is called the wants or our gut orientation our intuition and the other one is feeling so as humans we're collecting data and we're analyzing it always i mean you know this is at the heart and soul of what you do right is that we're these big data collectors um and we tend to rely on one of these dimensions in our human experience more than the other either thinking and analyzing more using our gut or intuition or feeling more and these dimensions tell us three things. They tell us how we cope and self-soothe. They tell us how we listen. So we're listening to each other right now. We're either listening by analyzing or, self, or um, our intuition or how we're feeling. And they also tell us you know, the information we rely on to make decisions. So do we analyze, use our gut, or do we feel? And we learn that from our parents. That makes so much sense right now. Like my, my mom is like the most like analytic human being on the face of the earth. And so is my dad. Um, I'm like, oh, well, that explains it. (laughs) There it is. I mean, this is really powerful in relationship and, and knowing this about yourself because it causes a lot of conflict. If you're in partnership with an analyzer and you're a wants oriented person that likes to take action as a coping mechanism, there's your conflict. <laughs> Matches and gasoline, go play. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. So knowing, um, you know, when you're in relationship under stress, do you like to take action, do something? Is that your coping mechanism? Do you like to analyze, gather more information? Or do you like to sit in a big feeling and be in that emotion. I, I always I always say, ask yourself, what would you do when you're buying a big fancy car? How would you respond? That's a high stress situation. That's a really great way to filter through your partnership. So you like you you think about um, the the person that's wants oriented. What makes them feel better is doing something, listening to their intuition. They see the car. Oh, that's beautiful. Great. Let's buy that, honey. And then they're in partnership with the person that's analyzing and they need lots of information to self-soothe and cope so guess what safety checklist what's the speed what's the gas mileage sitting here driving their partner absolutely nuts um and all of this is just lenses we've learned to feel safe in relationship Mm. yeah how profound Really <laughs> am I making sense or am I confusing? No, it makes a ton of sense. And I, I think there's just so many nuggets here um, so many. that people can take away from and, and go take action on. But um, I know we're, we're getting close to our time here, but if there was one thing, one practice or perhaps a book or something that you would invite people to do on a daily basis that would help them live a more fulfilled life, what would that be? Mm, that's a great question. Hmm. You know, my definition of emotional intelligence is the ability to be in the middle of a shit storm and take notes. So like the world is literally crushing, smushing around you and you're able to pause and just become aware of what's happening inside of you. So I think that the, my nugget for today would be begin to observe 
these two lenses under stress? Do you focus more on your own experience or do you focus on the other? It shows up everywhere in every moment you exist. I mean, from crossing the road to being in relationship with yourself to, I mean, everything, if you can begin to internalize this, it's super powerful. And then notice, you know, when you're under stress, do you tend to analyze? Do you tend to take action or do you tend to be in a feeling? Um, and just apply those lenses to your life. See what shows up because then when you're in the shitstorm, you can maybe take a pause, become aware of yourself. I love that. That's such a functional tool too. If people want to connect with you and your squirreliness, how can they do that? Yeah, they can, they can email me. They can find me at introspective you on Instagram spelled out introspective Y-O-U. Um, do you want my email? Should I put my email on here? Mm, I don't know. I think they go find you on Instagram and then if they sounds want good. the email, get the yeah. email, drop her, drop her a message. That sounds good. That sounds good. This has been fabulous. Thank you, Chris. This has been quite fabulous. I'm a big windmill of this whole thing. Thank you so much for illuminating this delightful late night podcast. Very late night. Okay. Hopefully uh, useful. Very, very useful. I can't wait to have you back on the show. Hello. It's me. I wonder, I don't know how long I can actually do that with a deep voice. But anyways, it's me again. It's Dr. C. Hopefully you guys really loved this episode. Rate, review this bad boy. If you do us a humongous, humongous favor, uh, it's always awesome to hear how you guys are being supported and expressed through this. And don't forget to jump on over to Instagram and give me a like and follow. And if you go to the link in my bio, I am posting new blogs, new videos, and new workshops in there constantly. And that reminds reminds me that if you have not yet jumped over to Instagram and applied for the Limitless Life Tribe, which is my mastermind on mindset, productivity, neural, and biohacking, everything to create an inner environment to let your external environment mirror an expressive reality for your genius, you're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. Shout out to Men's Warehouse. They are not affiliated with this podcast, but that guy creeped me out as a child. So if you haven't gotten done that, hop on over there and take a jump in there. We're taking on our next round of clients and we would love to have you and your unique ways join the expression of this badass group of human beings. So have yourself a tremendous day and practice what we preach. Take this little moment right now to just give yourself a big breath in and a big breath out. Ask yourself what you're grateful for today. We'll see you on the next episode.